The cost of the capital, the cost of borrowing can add quite a bit of burden to the business. If you have not clearly articulated the why you need it, where you need it, and how much you need it, and when you need it, right? You need to think about and bake that into your future cash flow response uh, obligations. The planning and the assessment of your own situation is critical. Nothing is free. I've been following the journey of Farm Girls Flowers CEO, Christina Stambo on YouTube on how she is pivoting her flower business and trying to survive this crisis. Her business was on track to achieve $50 million in revenue this year before the crisis. And now she doesn't even know if her business will survive. I mentioned Farm Girl Flowers in episode 58 where Katrin Schifferley, founder and CEO of Work Truck Solution and Convoy. Katrin share how to plan a pivot strategically by blocking all the noises and utilize financial data to help her decision making. If you haven't listened to episode 58, now it's the time to head on over to christinashahli.com forward slash podcast. You're probably wondering why on earth I keep bringing up farm girl flowers. They do have pretty flowers, pretty bouquet, very different than the others. But I don't get paid for mentioning her in my podcast. And actually, I don't know her at all. I'm just one of her past customers and I've been following. And I thought her marketing strategy for bringing along her customers in her journey during this crisis is just brilliant. And this week, I'm intrigued to share her story again, because in her latest video, Christina share how the Paycheck Protection Program and the traditional banks in the U.S. fail small business owners like her. Christina share how her bank didn't try to help her business where the first come first serve basis for the Paycheck Protection Program wasn't entirely true. And the fact she was told in the past by her bank that they won't do much to help a company who has no investor pouring money into the business. Christina bootstrapped her company for the last 10 years and she has been working on different what-if analysis and then create financial models to help her make a smart and strategic business decision during this crisis. So she has been proactive. Why no traditional bank helps her? That's beyond me. And that's why I brought in different financing experts so you understand different financing options out there. And because I don't want you to feel stuck like the CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. As I've been talking to the CEO of several non-traditional financial institutions, episode 56, Catherine Petrolia, the founder and CEO of Cabbage. Episode 59, Christine Chang, the CEO of Sixth Avenue Capital. I understand there is a market gap in the financial system in the US but small business owners do have other financing options that are likely not offered by traditional banks. 
You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening for this podcast for over a year, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. Feel free to send me a private message on LinkedIn or submit your question using the link provided in the show notes. Tell me which part of the conversation in this episode resonates and inspires you. And if you have follow-up questions after listening to this episode, ask me. I will do a bonus episode to answer your question on this podcast or I will post on LinkedIn if we are connected there. I have been answering questions that I received over the last three weeks inside my bonus episode as well as on LinkedIn. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I take you behind the scenes and into the inner workings of our businesses, sharing the good, the bad, and the truth about the money we have made or lost and recovered as entrepreneurs. And all because we want to inspire you to achieve financial equality through your business. Today's guest is Wendy Kylie. Wendy is the president and CEO of Piermont Bank, the next generation bank that focuses on accelerating growth for entrepreneurs. It is the first bank to open in New York State since 2008. This episode was recorded a few weeks ago, so I want you to be aware that the information about the Paycheck Protection Program discussed in this episode may not be relevant anymore, as it is possible the fund is gone by the time you listen to this episode. This episode is released on April 30th, but my conversation with Wendy can help you to understand how Piermont Bank is helping its clients, small business owners during this crisis. Let's find out Wendy's CEO journey. Wendy Kylie, welcome to her CEO journey. Before becoming a CEO of Piermont Bank, you were with another bank and then you want to disrupt the middle market commercial banking. Can you share your journey yeah, oh, absolutely. So this is my actually 26th year in banking. Uh-huh. I actually started with one of the largest banks. Well, I started with J.P. Morgan Chase. Mm-hmm. So I spent time with Chase City. You know, I'm an investment banker by training most of my career. So in 2011, I transitioned into middle market, so to speak, middle market banking. And it was immediately on the heels of the last financial crisis. Mm. The bank that I worked for, the CEO and chairman, essentially came to me and asked me to help with the post-financial crisis, loan workouts, and building new markets. A middle market, that's what we call it, the myth, uh, the sort of the lost middle market, the missing middle market. You hear a lot of different descriptors. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's describing a lower middle market where these businesses that really do need the high touch that are not getting the, the service. So that was the fundamentals behind starting Piermont Bank. So we focus on that lower middle market, right? That missing middle. So we keep that old school, high touch approach to serve clients. 
then anything that doesn't touch the client, we digitize everything. So we can do it much more efficiently and taking out the silos, taking out a lot of these corporate unnecessary internal hurdles, right? That mm. end up impacting neg- negatively on the clients. So that's it. We're, we're very simple. We're very straightforward. We just want to serve that lower middle market, entrepreneur led, lots of family owned business that really still truly appreciate uh, a bank that is willing to sort of take the extra 20 minutes to help them solve their problem. Mm-hmm. So when you say lower to middle market, is there like a minimum earning? We measure that by loan size. So okay. lower middle market to commercial banks, it's about 10, like one to $10 million range mm-hmm. borrowing, meaning the loan size. Okay. So one thing that I'm interested to talk about is actually about when you say innovative financial technology, which yeah. is combining like operation processes, you mentioned something in the article and then I'm, I'm intrigued with this. You said that you guys are approaching this as with a holistic manner. What does that mean? With most legacy, uh, I should say existing banks, Mm -hmm. uh, especially banks of a a decent size, when you go open your account, your personal account probably sits with a branch. And let's say, let's take me for example, I will open my personal account and that goes with a branch. Then because I owned, uh, I run Piermont Bank, Okay, let's say Piermont Bank is not a bank. Let's say it's just a regular company says Piermont. Then I need to open a business account. That belongs to a different group of people. Then when I need to take out a loan for Piermont, that goes to commercial lending. So you're dealing with different departments, right? Have different P&L, right? Mm-hmm. Profit and loss, you know, a mm-hmm. liability. Profit and loss, yeah. yeah, and the balance sheet. So yeah. they have their own business, their own performance goals that they got to meet. It's not really in the spirit of sharing. So what happens to the for the client now when it comes to me is that not only do I have to deal with three different people, right, at the very minimum, one doesn't know my other business. So I don't get the benefit of full benefit of all the other business I have with the bank, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. for example, I'll give you a very specific example. Mm-hmm. This is real. When I was putting in the process of putting Piermont Bank together, mm-hmm. I actually, I'm not going to name the bank name. I went to one of the large money center because I've been with them for a long time mm-hmm. because my personal account is there. My family's business account is there. So obviously for convenience sake, I went there to open the operating account for mm-hmm. uh, Piermont. Okay. And we put in $10 million because I raised $10 million for the bank in the C round. So mm-hmm. I put $10 million in the bank. I went to them, I had my CFO go to them, ask for a 100% cash secure standby level credit. That is for my deposit for my new bank headquarter. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they turn us away. Wow. Now, think about it 100% cash secure, and they get to charge me 2% fee for the letter of credit. And they told me to go away. Why? They referred me to a local uh, credit union, like a couple miles away. Why? Because they said, well, you know, this is, this belongs to another group. And, you know, when it's probably easier since you guys are new entity and you don't have proven business record because we haven't been in business for two years, Mm -hmm. it's better to go somewhere else. Mm. I said, okay, you do understand it's $10 million cash secure plus my personal business. If you're going to send me away, I'm going to move everything. They said, well, Wendy, no, no, you can keep your personal. I'm like, why would I? So if, if you think about that, 
Not only that, three weeks later, we got a letter in the mail in Spanish telling us that please make sure all your checks clear. We're going to close your account. What? <laughs> because, and I, so I told them, I said, I know the regional manager. So I called them up. I said, listen, as you know, I am a banker. So I know exactly why it triggered that letter because we're a new business and $10 million went in in one shot. Ever since then, we've been writing checks, right? Making payroll, mm-hmm. uh, buying software, and et cetera. So it raised a flag uh, under Bank Securities Act, BSA flag. Mm-hmm. I said, here, I can tell you how to do that. As long as I give you a copy of my approval letter from the OCC and the FDIC, which are your regulator, as well as my future regulator, mm-hmm. then you can clear that check and we're all set. They say, yeah, Wendy, you're right. I know. But you know what? It's just too much hassle. Basically, it's like this is above my pay grade and it's easier if we just move on. To answer your question, Christina, in terms of holistic relationships. So let me bring come back to your question. Mm-hmm. So what we do at Paramount is that we have one place, meaning every client, whether it's their personal or commercial, mm-hmm. they have one single dedicated relationship mm-hmm. banker that mm-hmm. handles them. Mm-hmm. This way, we price everything based on your, their whole relationship, risk manage on the entire relationship. Got it. So it's more personal and then they can, you can have like a big, a bigger picture approach for that one person that cool. have personal and business together. Now, in terms of women business owners, like, are you guys dealing with uh, or focusing on women business owners? So we have, um, we are a full charter commercial bank and we focus on various different industry sectors. So for us, the best way to describe us, our focus is that we focus on that lower middle barbecue, meaning business that needs one to 10 million. So we don't, we are agnostic when it comes to any particular demographic. Mm. However, mm. being the first bank to be, you know, uh, women, female CEO, female board chair, and a majority female board, we obviously have a very natural and keen interest in supporting female entrepreneurs, women-owned business. So we have made investments in terms of talents internally uh, to, to, to support that particular demographic. What do you think the common struggle for women business owners out there based on your experience? We are too conservative. We're actually, I, I have come to realize that female entrepreneurs, business owners are actually banks better borrowing clients, borrowing prospects, mm-hmm. because we, our risk appetite mm-hmm. um, naturally is different from our counterparts. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to be more conservative. We tend to go one step at a time. You know, if I do 10 million in revenue, I'm going to put X amount back in the business to do expansion, just sort of a lot more one step at a time type of uh, approach. Um, So I think the flip side of that is being too conservative. Sometimes it slows down the growth Mm. potential. I heard this many times, but also I think a lot of women business owner, women entrepreneur is probably likely want to build on a stronger foundation. Going back to what you just said about slower growth, I think because we some, you know, analysis paralysis can be an issue as well, right? Like we analyze a lot, uh, but because of that, we also building a stronger foundation for a business. So that's why, I don't know, I find you are absolutely right. We are, we are different on how we are thinking, but that's, 
that helps in the long run, I believe. I don't know what you have seen. Absolutely true. That's why I said earlier that I find that to be a positive trade from a borrowing client standpoint, from a potential prospect for, for banks, if they recognize that. Yes. I think the other side, aside from who we are in terms of as a business owner, as a female business owner, it's more, it's very much more about how others view us. That is much harder to change, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to take time, both from a investment community standpoint, as well as from a, once your business is open and up running, how people view you uh, in terms of working for a company that's led by a woman, it comes from all fronts, investment, talent acquisition, operations, just doing sales in general, competing, right, in, in your specific industry among your, your, your contemporaries. So from various different angles, the perception of female-run business or a female entrepreneur, I should say, and the perception that's associated with it, there are good and bad ones, that it's much harder to change. But Christina, I, I do want to say one thing, though. A lot of things have progressed in the positive direction for female entrepreneurs, in my view, because my first startup attempt was when I was 24. Mm-hmm. Um, this was back in the mid 90s. I can tell you that a lot of things have changed uh, for the better. How was it, Wendy? Uh, in terms, especially in terms of fundraising, I do think that there is a, a much, much heightened uh, awareness around the benefits and from a performance standpoint of a you know woman-run business. Uh, you have a lot more, you're seeing a lot more even VC funds and PE funds that have either are run by women or have mm-hmm. female partners, right? That are making investment decisions that have made a specific goal in funding, in financing female entrepreneurs. So I think that there's been a lot of positive um, changes. Yes, I I hear you. It's still low though, like the percentage of female uh, who receive venture capitalist financing, right? It's still pretty low. And I think there are a lot more uh, FC owned by women. And then even I've seen it as well. We are progressing in the right direction, but there's still so much work that we have to do, I believe, right? Yes. It's no, don't get me wrong. It's certainly not enough and we're not there yes. yet. Yeah, but we're not. Step in the right direction helps. Oh, right? definitely. We have to start from somewhere. And this is ultimately the chain reaction that we look for is that when there's more focus on it, hopefully there's more action, hopefully there's more results, it results in more female run business, then we then we give back, right? We turn around, we support more uh, female-owned business. So just like here in Piermont for Piermont Bank, even though it's not a bank specifically built for women-owned business, but because as I mentioned earlier, we have a probably higher than usual percentage of females in leadership yep. role, mm-hmm. then we have a interest in supporting, right? Women-owned Definitely. business. So Definitely. that's really what it takes, right? Yeah. We have to step up, step up as the leader. And I think, you know, because women tend to look for relationship and guidance, I think it's kind of like attract other women to, you know, to go to another woman-owned leader or woman-owned businesses. So how is Pierman is getting involved with this uh, PPP, Wendy? 
Well, we are an, an approved lender uh, in the program as part of the SBA. So we have been, honestly, Christina, inundated with a request since the announcement of the program. As I'm sure everyone have read uh, or heard from the media that there's been there's been challenges. And to honestly, to S- I know there's been also criticism, but honestly, to SBA's credit, this is a massive program, right? Deploying $349 billion and expecting an agency or any institution agency to do that, be up and running within literally 36, 48 hours is not exactly a very practical expectation. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said to SBA's credit, they do have it up and running now um, after short a week. As you can see, there's been about $88 billion worth of application has been locked uh, into the SBA system. So we're, we're going and we're busy. Uh, we're very much involved to Piermont Bank. Our first priority is to make sure that we do take care of our clients, take care of, of our community, right? The community that we operate in, client or not. So we are taking in all the applications and trying to get them through as quickly as we can. Okay, so are you still taking uh, the same approach in terms of the underwriting? Um, no, so uh, PPP is very different. So PPP has is 100% guaranteed by the Small Business Administration. Mm-hmm. And part of the loan, uh, if used per guideline, and is forgivable. How do you determine if the person is eligible under the PPP? So the eligibility, again, is actually very straightforward and simple, um, Mm -hmm. unlike a getting a conventional loan, SBA or not. Mm -hmm. Um, The verification process is also very different. Uh, The underwriting is different. There's not much underwriting to speak of because SBA has already specified how to calculate the Mm -hmm. maximum loan amount. Mm -hmm. So it's taking the burden from the bank in terms of from a uh, the level of verification, the bank, of course, needs still needs to do BSA, KYC, compliance check. But again, mostly there are existing bank clients. So that's been done already. So to you know, further answer your question, the business itself, they don't have to prepare as much information as they normally would when they apply for a conventional loan. So all they really need to give the bank is to show that the business exists, right? Send us the incorporation document, the business exists. When was it incorporated? And uh, how many people on the payroll part? So some people use third-party vendor like ADP, Benefit Mall to do payroll. So -hmm. just get a statement from their website, essentially Mm -hmm. from their account. Mm -hmm. That's all we're asking. If they don't use a third-party to pay, to do payroll, then we ask them to give us a report from their own internal records and they just certify that what they give us is true. So the whole idea behind PPP is to get the money to the hands of business as quickly as we can. So the the overall sort of sentiment behind it, it's less about viability of the business, Mm -hmm. but more about the needs of the business. Okay. So even like if if an applicant comes in and then they already have a, a loan, a debt on their balance sheet, they can still qualify. Correct. Yeah, it Mm -hmm. has nothing to do. It doesn't have anything to do with existing conventional loan. If they have already taken out, I believe there are two other SBA disaster relief loans. If they have taken parts or all of those loans, then we... You are allowed to get the PPP. Yes. You can still apply for the PPP, but it does change the calculation of the loan amount. But otherwise, you know, essentially... 
you can have debt. The whole idea is that people are in debt. They have exhausted their regular channel of getting, you know, borrowings in their hands. So this is more about how can we help them more in, in, a, in a pandemic situation. How is this crisis affecting your Piermont Bank, Wendy? Is there any impact at all? The impact is actually for us, uh, interestingly, very unique because we're, we're new. As you know, we're the first and the only a new charter commercial bank for yes. the your sense crisis. So yes. it's not like there's a lot. There are other banks that we can bar- benchmark uh, against. So we're, we're new. What that means is that we have a very clean balance sheet, mm-hmm. existing balance sheet. Mm-hmm. We also have a very strong capital position because mm-hmm. we're new, meaning normal bank capital position is between, you know, 8 to 12%. Mm-hmm. We are at 78%. Because we, we're sitting on a lot of capital and cash. So we're in a unique position where we can actually be very actively offering loans to clients who are needed uh, versus many other institutions may be a little preoccupied with their existing portfolio. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, the, the product that Birman offers? I encourage everyone Uh, who are listening to go to your own bank, your existing bank where you have relationship and talk to a banker that who are willing to listen and help you. I think your existing banking relationship, this is when you put them to the real test, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's when when things are not going well, that's how you test whether or not they can be helpful to you. So that's number one. Number two, as far as Paramount is concerned, um, our products are whether it's crisis or not, uh, it remains the same. So we have working capital line, right? We have standby LCs, working capital line, whether it's for inventory uh, asset-based lending, which is uh, we based on how much inventory and accounts receivable that you have, and we can structure a line of credit. Uh, we, have, we do permanent term loans or owner-occupied warehouses or offices that you Mm -hmm. occupy. Mm -hmm. We also do investment, commercial real estate investment loans. So if you're looking to, if you believe this is a great market, you're going to go buy another building. We're happy to finance that. If you are looking to say, okay, you know what? Looks like the building that I just built, the condos are not going to be, the selling market is not great. So I'm going to switch it to a rental model Mm -hmm. and that you're looking for a loan right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to finance your newly built building. Happy to do that. So no different from, I would say, from a product offering standpoint, we offer all commercial uh, middle market lending. Okay. In terms of the underwriting in this normal process, can you help my audience to understand what kind of information that you normally ask? Sure. Um, for different types of loan, unfortunately, it varies, right? Okay. For real estate loan, if it's just it's an investment property, meaning you're buying a building, like I said earlier, or refinancing something Then you know, we, we look at what your cash flow looks like on the building, right? What your monthly rental income looks like. We do an appraisal of the building. If the overall situation requires a guarantee from the borrower, then we look at your financials. It's pretty standard in terms of a CRE uh, financing. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at a working capital, then we look at, we ask for your last two years of of financials, tax returns, company prepared financials. So this way we can look at 
what your inventory looks like, what your accounts receivable looks like, whether you made money or lost money. So this is how we do our underwriting is that we ask for your last two years of financial statements as a, as a starting point. I really want to have a sense when somebody go or thinking about getting a financing, what does entrepreneurs really need to think about? Well, I think a couple of things. One is that they should think about from the standpoint of, do they need this loan, right? Do they really need financing? <laughs> How much do I really need? And what do I need it for? Do I need it to sustain the business or do I need it to mm. expand the business? Mm. Then the justification for the cost of the borrowing obviously will be different if it's to keep the business afloat versus to, uh, expanding business, right? The cost of the capital, the cost of borrowing can be, can add quite a bit of burden to the business. If you have not clearly articulated the why you need it, where you need it, and how much you need it, and when you need it, right? You need to think about and bake that into your future cash flow response uh, obligations. It's the planning and the assessment of your own situation is critical. Nothing is free. Thank you for saying that. Exactly. There's nothing is free. (laughs) That's what for sure. I think business owners really need to take a step back and really think about it before enter into any financing agreement. You know, some some financing agreement is a smart agreement that you you can make, right? For your business and then it can help you grow. Yeah, Christina, here's a piece of I would say unsolicited advice. Um, for especially the businesses on the smaller end, where it's very much still in the growth and build phase, Mm -hmm. is that it is important for the business owner, for the founder to have someone. I think it is imperative for business owners to make sure that if they don't have that skill set, they get somebody who has that skill set that are savvy with finance management because that person can help you answer the questions I raised, meaning when to go to a bank, which lender do you go to? When do you go to a bridge financing person? When do you go to a mass lender? When do you actually be able to graduate and go to a bank to get senior debt? When do you apply for the SBA loan, right? How much? Having that finance person is important. Mm. What have you seen in your client though? Like when a business owner, at what level do they normally have a finance person in their team? That person can be comes in different form. Uh, I, I would say at different at different stage could be different role. If you are literally starting out, this is your first six months of trying to put a business together. Obviously, you're not going to go out and hire the CFO or even a finance manager, right? That's when you should think about: Are you good at it? If you know that you're not good at it and that's not your strength, then go outsource it. Right. Find somebody who, as a service provider, can be your interim person to help you with that. But if you are a couple of years into operation and you have already turned a profit, you really should have a good finance manager on your payroll. I have seen that clients came to me at a later stage. They already made a decision without looking at the long-term financial planning. Right. So they made a decision that is hurting their business. Wendy, here's the thing. Like, I'm always curious from a lender perspective. How do you approach your customers, especially in a crisis like this, where a lot of people are struggling? What do you expect from them, especially 
in terms of communication with you as the lender? This is a uh, also a personal pet peeve of mine is that you don't kick people when they're down. <laughs> yeah. So this is not just about Piermont. Like I said, this is my personal belief. So um, obviously at Piermont, our group of senior executives all fully believe in that is in the situation, in the crisis situation is how do we quickly reach out to clients and understand where the needs are and help them versus, well, you know what? Looks like you have to lay off 16 people and that uh, your sales is, has dropped 50%, 50%. It's time for you to look for a new bank. No, we don't do that. So what we've done was three weeks ago, we already set up one-on-one calls with each client and basically went through with them. You know, we had a list of questions that we pre-developed that will help guide our clients in terms of areas that they really should be looking at, that should, they should be self doing self-examination. Mm-hmm. So we help them, we walk through it, we understand the situation. And since then, we've been having weekly touch points with each client, every single client, to basically monitor, help them monitor, um, be that extra pair of hands to help them monitor their own situation in view of being in a, again, rapidly changing and deteriorating you know, economic situa- uh, environment. We're willing to work with you. We expect the same thing in return. Keep us updated. Be upfront with changes so that we can help you resolve it. Don't hide anything because mm. if you do that, we're in no position to help you once we find out. Mm. It will be too late, right? So creating that comfort, creating that trust with the client that they can come to us with their problem versus hiding it, knowing that we're not going to kick them out, knowing that we're here to, again, to resolve the problem versus just trying to know how badly, how bad of a situation they're in and decide whether or not we keep them or not. That, that's not the game. So is there an example that you can give how Piermont Bank is helping a client? You don't have to put name, just like an example, an effort that you offer to clients. Actually, one of our very first clients that we bought on board, um, and, you know, this is the previous relationship that the relationship manager had, is that we quickly took a look at their inventory situation Obviously, these days, most companies have some type of relationship with either whether it's manufacturing or uh, suppliers or buyers that are in the Asia-Pacific region. Mm -hmm. So obviously, as we know, um, Asia-Pacific got hit with the coronavirus before, obviously, it got to Europe and to the U.S., Mm -hmm. to North America. So we took a look at based on their experience, right? Because they're the operator. I know banking. I don't know manufacturing. Yeah, as yeah, as yeah. So based on their past experience, basically we said, okay, come up with a worst case scenario. Worst case mm-hmm. scenario is in that your supplier's capability of producing the components that you need, right? For, mm-hmm. for your end product is going to get slashing half, mm-hmm. for example. Basically stress test their own business we help guide them in terms of what areas that they need to stress test. And then it turns out that they essentially are looking at a situation where they will be sitting on access inventory. So mm-hmm. their line of credit is structured based on 50% against their inventory, 80% against their AR. So mm-hmm. in this case, we are temporarily in the next six months, increase the cap on their inventory to relieve some pressure. Having a good relationship with your lender and communicate with them so they can help you. Because a lot of business owners 
they are overwhelmed with everything that is going on. And then sometimes they don't have a finance person that can hold their hand in how you're supposed to talk to the lender. It can be scary, right? They thought that if they're not, if they can hide the situation, it's better, but actually it's not. It's being open with your lender so they can help you. It's, it's critical, especially during this time. So yeah. I appreciate that input, Wendy. So Wendy, I would like if you can give advice to business owner out there who are like struggling in this crisis, what would be your uh, best advice to them? I would encourage everyone to take the time if they haven't already to look at the various different financing, like loan relief program that is being offered by the state, city, as well as SBA, right? Federal level. And make sure that you do take full advantage of those if it's appropriate, because it does help, obviously, relieve some pressure for your business. Secondly is stress testing your own business if you haven't done done so already. And it doesn't have to be complicated Mm -hmm. because business owners, they know their business intimately. Mm -hmm. So go through it and, you know, put, put pen to paper to the computer Excel sheet and basically said, hey, what would be the worst case scenario? That is really important, that exercise, if they haven't done it already. Yep. And if they're just sitting there hoping for the best, that this, you know, as soon as the virus is over, everything will be back to normal. I always joke around with my team, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> I think the last, the third advice I would give is that do reach out to your banks mm-hmm. or your whoever is financing your business. If you currently have financing, talk to them. Because you'd be surprised, you know, I can't guarantee every conversation um, in every situation is going to be a positive experience, but it doesn't hurt to reach out and have those conversations. You have to ask, right? Ask your banker, what can you do for us right now? Because mm-hmm. what's the worst case scenario is they said that, well, you know what, there's not a whole lot we can do for you. And let's hope that your bankers are going to take the extra time to hear you out and see if they can do something for you, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, that, that outreach is important. Um, do talk to your financial advisor if you have one. Talk to your accountant, talk to your counsel. That's what you hire them for. That's what you pay them for. Yeah, Reach out to them and get advice. To me, whether banking or not, personal or business, I have always found what's useful is that if you don't know the answer, if you talk to a few people, you'll be able to triangulate some type of solution out of it, right? Yes, yes. Talk to different people. Talk to, like I said, talk to the bankers and the lawyers and everything. And after these conversations, at the very least, it may help you crystallize or at the very least clarify, right? Some questions. (laughs) Right? So they become confident. Okay, you're taking action. We don't know if your action is going to be successful or not. But at the end of the day, you are showing you see a problem before the problem happened and you are taking step to resolve that problem before it becomes bigger. Here, in good times, every bank wants to give you money. But this is the real test, is that when you are in need, who's actually going to be there to support you? Wendy, thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. And at Paramount Bank, for any one of your audience, they, have, um, they think that they need some support and help. Um, always feel free. You can reach us via our website. Very simple, paramountbank.com. So, you know, we'll do the best we can. Thank you. And then you can also reach out to Wendy. She's on LinkedIn. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and, and I, 
And I do respond to every outreach I receive. So yes, so I will put everything in the show notes so they can reach out directly to you or to Piermont Bank. Thank you, Wendy. Great. Thank you, Christina. Stay well. Thank you so much for joining me here every week at Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women's entrepreneurs. Head on over to kristinashahli.com forward slash Her CEO Journey to subscribe for this podcast. And don't forget to tell other women entrepreneurs that this podcast is available for free in the podcast apps of their choice. Until next time, and let's continue to grow a business that fuels the life that you want to live.